Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 335 of Her, the podcast where you'll hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today her brain dance. What a beautiful phrase. You're going to learn much more about the wonders of applied neuroscience. We have a fantastic episode coming up. And just know that this is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to smartypantsvitamins.com. And here's your first reminder to click on the iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show. That's because I love hearing from you. Your feedback is awesome. And so please make sure to rate and review. I'm going to give you another reminder later on. Okay, it's time for her. The podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about her. There is a fabulous new book out that I want to turn you on to. It is called Brain Dance. My journey with invisible illness, second chances, and the wonders of applied neuroscience. Now, the author is Diane Grimard Wilson. She's a Chicago peak performance coach. I kind of like that peak part. Um, she is a licensed clinical professional counselor and has board certification as a fellow in neurofeedback. She has certifications in neuro-based music programs for optimal brain health functioning, as well as meditation teaching. Her first book, Back in Control, How to Stay Sane, productive and inspired in your career transition was a finalist for the prestigious Nautilus Book Awards and she's a former contributor to the Chicago Tribune. Diane, welcome to the Her Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell people about what I've been doing, about brain dance. Thank you. Well, okay. So I have the book in front of me. And first of all, the cover is crazy. I loved it. Wait till you see the cover out there, everyone. Just log on to Amazon and scope it out for yourself. It is nuts. It's so pretty. And it really speaks to what you're all about in the book, which I love. And and I I just, I think that this is a story that needs to be told. I'm not going to tell it. Diane, you tell it. Why did you write this book? I wrote this book because, because it, I felt like I had to. Every time I wrote a book, let me back up. I wrote a book in 2005 and then had an accident. And every time I sat down in the years between then and now to, to do more writing, because I always saw myself as a writer, to begin a new project, it always at some point just slipped in and I started to write about this. So it was sort of like the, the boulder in my soul that had to be released, that I felt like I had to tell this story. But the second reason is that I, I feel like 
there are many people who go through situations like I had been through that weren't aren't as nearly as lucky. And so I think that this story had to be told in terms of we learn by stories, we learn by human stories. And many people need to understand the path of brain injury and brain health and what it means to be injured. I felt there were many perspectives on very, very severe injuries, but not more on the slight to moderate concussion, the person who looks fine that you see in the grocery store, who isn't really fine and whose life isn't working quite the same way, or that person that you know that they had an accident, but their life wasn't quite the same, that people don't really talk about it. And I felt that 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 state and my recovery, the things that I went through to recover were stories that needed to be told. Well, tell us your story. Everyone's sitting here saying, oh, what's the story? What's the story? We want to hear all about Diane. Thank you. So in the sense that I was sitting at a stoplight and through no permission or advanced knowledge, a car drove into me. There was no possible way I caused this, but just sitting there like could happen to anyone. And, and so just through the diagnosis, which didn't really happen uh, because brain injuries, concussions can develop across time, the bruises of the brain. And so my doctor was very helpful in, in diagnosing moderate concussion and I had physical therapy, but over a period of months, my life just didn't knit back together. In the year previous and launching my first book, I had been on ABC, CNN, public radio uh, interviews, many just wonderful um, placements and projects to tell people about my first book. But so that was the year previous. And then after the accident, it's just like nothing. <laughs> my things fell apart. It's It was very hard to remember the life I had. And so seven months into it, I sort of felt fine, but my life just was at a standstill. One of my friends from my Toastmaster group uh, that I finally caught up with after you know being a hermit for several months uh, said, you know, I think that you need to get a brain scan before you settle this. And so when I did, the discriminant, the index of brain injury was at 96%. So seven months later, it was the diagnosis that is that I still had moderate injury compared to normative samples. And so that really was hard to hear, but it made sense out of a lot of things that happened. And so then the next two years, I did neurofeedback training and a lot of other things that helped to heal my brain and also created a new calling for me. So I was lucky. I came across someone who took a special interest in me and you know, was able to make a good treatment plan for me and then work, work with me on it. Not that it was easy. There were points, not a lot of people do neurofeedback and I couldn't drive. So I had to take at one point three trains and a, a taxi to get there, take pretty much the whole day. But it was an interesting phase of life. It was like not having a focus. It wasn't horrible. I wasn't in a lot of pain. My my life just didn't work the same at all. Well, you know, you, one of the lessons I, I hear from this and I got from the book is that you don't have to have a building fall on you and be, you know, horrifically traumatized in that regard. 
that sometimes uh, the the things that happen in life are actually much more subtle. Uh, and and it's interesting. I had a colleague had have the same thing happen. She ended up having. Uh, she was in a garden, as beautiful place outside of Boston, and she was gardening. And she there was a very big rake um, that she was working with, and she stepped on the rake, and you know where that's going to go. So the handle gave her a good whack on the back of the head, and that really kind of you know left her very almost paralyzed for a moment. It's like, whoa. And then she thought, okay, well, I'm going to get on with life. That did not work out so well because she ended up with a lot of what you had. Like, for instance, um, I'm reading directly from your book in the beginning uh, in the section that says concussion, the expensive smaller plate. If you had asked me how I felt during this time, I would have said, fine. Well, I had headaches sometimes, and certain head movements made me feel nauseous, but these symptoms seemed transient. Now, you know, things like uh, exercise class, I couldn't do fast turns or spin without struggling with balance and feeling dizzy, so I avoided any moves involving spinning and turning. Overall, it was like having a much smaller plate in life. Before I had a decent sized plate with friends, activities, commitments, events, but now the capacity shrunk. Things fell off that I would never have dreamed would. You know, it's interesting. When I had first met this uh, colleague and she told me the story, she was really very miserable. She was trying to put on a good face, but it wasn't working. I got her into um, the very famous. Uh, rehab program at the McLean Hospital um, at Harvard. And uh, it, it literally just performed miracles for her. She just never knew she had a concussion that severe um, and, and literally felt helpless. So I can imagine you felt the same way, yes? Absolutely, absolutely. It's like little by little, your life changes and you, you don't have the self-awareness. The self-awareness is impaired too. And so looking back on it, you can see the things that changed as clearly, much more clearly, but during the time, it's just like you're, I felt like I was waiting. You know, I was waiting for something. I was in a space of between space, but waiting and just trying to deal with the present and stay in a good mood and, you know, just, be in my life are there people i mean think about this for a second do you think that this is sort of a quiet um problem maybe a, even a quiet epidemic to a certain degree um where people get thwacked in the head for a lot of different reasons and and just sort of try to ride it off and, and grin and bear it and suffer through um and they're not seeking care, or if they are seeking care, they're not getting the appropriate care. Based upon your experience, how do you feel about that? I, I think it is a silent epidemic. I think that's the reason for writing this, especially it, that's so important is to help people find the words to explain their situation, but also have people understand and, you know, just be more sensitive to it. 
I just couldn't think of a situation where my symptoms fit into any conversation I had with anyone. And once I was diagnosed, knowing, knowing that I had a brain injury, like that didn't fit in many conversations either. It's like I couldn't explain it. And and other people, I think, just weren't ready to hear it. Even even physicians, good people in healthcare, it's it's an area that we're all learning about. And and the tools, I, I think the people that are aware of the word concussion, very aware of it, don't necessarily know how someone heals from it. And there, I think there are all kinds of things that help us in little ways and big ways, but you know, I just think our sensitivity around the condition and the treatment is, is not as high as it needs to be. So what, you know, it's interesting. I was um, looking up some statistics and it said in one study uh, that was published through the NIH, uh, it was a study of over a million people um, who were diagnosed with a concussion between 2008 and 2016. And the annual average was about a hundred and almost one hundred fifty thousand per year. They say that seventy nine percent were diagnosed in the emergency room, and then the real question is obviously, good, you have a diagnosis. How about that treatment? I mean, um, was the treatment appropriate? But really, at the end of the day, are people being diagnosed appropriately? Are people being treated appropriately? What do you think? I think it's tough to diagnose perfectly, completely at the time. It's something that really seems to change across time. The reactions that someone has may be immediate, but they may be over a period of days. I remember being in the emergency room and sort of feeling fine, but not quite like myself. But and then my head was stuck in a block for 90 minutes, which it just was very hard to tune in on how I felt. And But the next day I couldn't stand sound or movement or you know, my doctor examined me in the dark because just the lights in the room were totally overwhelming. And then across time, I think my symptoms changed. And so I think overall it's, we need more education around how those symptoms can look and how and when they might appear for different people. And in terms of a treatment, I think it would be great to have a physical therapist more aware. I had interviewed on the Genius Podcast, Maddie Girardi from Chicago's Atletico on, you know, how we spot people that have come in for head and neck injuries and, you know, how we treat and refer for brain injury because because I sort of fell through the cracks. I was kind of a model person at doing my homework on my head and neck injury, but really my life was not, was not working. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that the other thing that has happened in medicine that uh, has really been important here is, is sort of a rephrasing of what goes on, and that is, um, traumatic brain injury, or TBI, traumatic brain injury. I think when we say that, then that's more all-encompassing because that includes what happened um, with your accident, say, for instance, and, uh, and, and so many people out there. Again, I think a lot of people just want to be done with it, move on, and... Uh, really just want to get back to their own lives and are perplexed 
that they don't, as you said, feel like themselves um, in a big way. You mentioned in the book that it was really tough for you at times with the issue of crying and, and, and speaking about the accident itself. What was going on there? Well, it, it points to an important part of the traumatic brain injury is the brain injury is physical, but there is also trauma. And I had brain trauma from the accident itself as, as well as the injury. So the, it's just such an emotional topic that I would actually feel moved to talk about it. And in, in some ways still do, honestly, it's like it changed my life. It, it seems to be a physiological response to, to this topic that just happens. But one, once I was recovered pretty much from the brain scan, you could see all the training I had done, it, everything looked good. It still was very difficult to talk about and, and actually had some PTSD that showed up at the most unlikely time. So it seemed like, oh, everything's behind me. I can get back to my life. And I ended up telling this story about it and then sat in a chair for hours in the same position, just totally traumatized. So then my doctor made the distinction between brain trauma and brain injury. And I was, I had to deal with the trauma. So I went through a series of EMDR, which is eye movement based a trauma tool, very powerful, that really helped a great deal. But also it's just such an interesting area because our brain can be injured and traumatized by trauma. The pandemic will change many people's brain brains it it's like that level of trauma our brain will work different afterwards for many of us and so that's that's something that we need to think about with brain awareness is how how our brain is affected by different types of impact hmm interesting and you know i know that uh you went through uh, some tough times with a lawsuit um to recover the medical uh, costs, um, you know, from the insurance company, and it's the usual legal craziness out there. And you wrote a really great chapter about that, you know, life continues, milestones, and then the unthinkable. So in the unthinkable, you know, you wrote this, since starting this book with the music director's permission, I've stepped back now and then from the life-giving joy of being in the choir at this one particular uh, church to focus on this project. In March of 2018, I returned to sing in a major piece we were presenting, and a friend had dashed upstairs in our newly renovated music library to get me a music score. I hadn't been on the second level since this historic Frank Lloyd Wright gym had reopened after an extensive renovation you bounced up the stairs behind him, excited to be back, talking with him, turned your head, and you were looking at the renovation and walked straight into a thick glass window you hadn't seen. The glass didn't break, but within minutes, two goose eggs sprouted on your head. You felt hot and dizzy, like you need this, like you need a hole in the head or maybe a goose egg in the head. And my forehead was numb. I knew I had a concussion. Sure enough, that same night during choir practice, old recognizable symptoms came back. Why this? Why now? But it's helped as you've been writing about this journey. 
What was going on with that? Good grief almighty. Like you got enough problems as it is with post-concussive syndrome with the with the brain trauma and now you walk right into a, a glass, you know. Whoa. Crazy. That was devastatingly devastating. <laughs> it was um yes, I tried to ignore it sitting there and my head just kept swelling and my face felt hot and people around me were going, can I get you some water? And oh my gosh. So I was afraid to walk home. It, the person I walk home with, the church is very close to where I live, is a physician. So I decided to wait for him. Besides, I wasn't sure how it was going to work on my own. And I honestly don't remember the trip home, but I do remember uh, the days afterwards. It was, it was hard. It was disappointing. It was but I mean, not to say it was a good thing, but it certainly brought back poignantly some of the feeling spaces that I went through years before. And it made it a little easier to write about. It's like, this is why. This is why I would write about this. This is what people don't talk about. This is what people need to hear. The, the states of your life that can shift with a head bump, you know, walking into something. Well, so, so your master's degree is in clinical um, and counseling psychology, and you've done extra graduate level coursework in organizational psychology. You've got all this going for you. And my question to you is, after your accident and the post, you know, concussive trauma, how has your, how has this lesson, which is so rich, there's so many lessons about life, right? How has that altered your career and your personal life? Let's start with the career. With my career, I was pretty lucky to be treated by Dr. Elsa Baer, who's a pioneer in the field of neurofeedback. And at the end of two years of treatment with her, I wanted to be her. I mean, she was just my role model on life. Uh, just a wonderful human, generous heart and really helped a lot of people. And also I was curious about the brain. I just loved reading about it and and had a small practice I was working with kind of throughout this people, a small practice, but, um, but I wanted to do what she did. And I wanted to be able to read a brain scan and create pro protocols and train other people. So I, she, she said, if you want to do this, you have to earn a board certification. You have to read, you need to meet people in the field that are pioneers. So I did all kinds of training and supervision and internships and kind of like that movie of the midlife intern. I was everybody's intern in the Chicago area that had a neurofeedback practice and really just learned a lot. I was deeply passionate about making the time that I spent in my recovery useful and leading to the next thing. So then I, there's a three-hour board certification exam, and I took that in. Well, I'll leave that to the reader. <laughs> but anyway, this is so it was disappointing to be injured again, but I believe that everything fuels us with these insights and ability to see into different spaces of other people's lives and to use those. So that's, that's how I used that that experience, the whole re-injury, but also my experience with Elsa and 
and, and helping other people. I, I, I think there's one thing I want to say about my account of this that it sounds very serious, but honestly, I found in writing this that there were several, at least many, many uh, funny things that happened. I, there are there there's humor. Well, give us an example. <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> yes. Tell us some examples. Just life is funny. I think at points it, it has like this humorous bend. I remember after being home for months and months and finally kind of getting it that I had this brain injury, which made me feel like I was diagnosed. I, this kind of clarified what had happened to me. And I decided I needed to get out. And so I went to the bookstore, this massive bookstore in Chicago, and that had launched my first book. And these people were so amazing. And I had heard that the owner had had a head injury and that's how she founded this. And I felt like, oh, this is perfect. I can talk with her, make a connection and feel, kind of normalize my experience. And so we went to an event and and she was there and she recognized me and we were talking. I thanked her again for the incredible launch. And I said, you know, I haven't been around because I had a head injury. And she looked me right in the face and said, I love your shoes. Okay, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. <laughs> yeah, That's excellent. Yeah, I like your. I love your shoes. And then I was, I was stunned. It's like, and I think my expectations were pretty high. It was a busy night. She owns a bookstore, massive bookstore, many friends in there. So I'm bringing this up to her, probably a private topic, perhaps. And and so after the shoe comment, I was just sort of stunned. And she goes, and she goes, your hair. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kind of blended back into the um, thing term, blended back into the audience. I mean, there were funny things about that just happen in life or, or learning how to, my brain changed during that time and I had more time to, to do things. In some ways, my, my brain did different things. I studied my husband's retirement accounts and, and actually realized that he had rolled over some funds and they were to my thinking, not appropriately invested. I had never invested commodities before, but I also knew from career coaching that a lot of people that worked in the Chicago Board of Exchange didn't, you know, have necessarily have a background in in that. And and so I started studying these, and it became my obsession. So obsession can be a hallmark of this kind of injury, the obsessive thinking. I was way obsessed, loved it, loved studying stocks and. At the same time, there was a beverage company that was new on the market, Monster, which is no longer new and very famous, but it would go up and down depending on the market. Someone drank it, they had a headache, product goes down. And, and so I, I learned that you buy low and sell high. And that's what I knew. And actually, I mean, I, I did well as a day trader in some ways. I mean, it wasn't my occupation, but so, I mean, there were quirky things that came from having a brain injury. It was, um, a lot of, you know, hermit time, <laughs> a lot of time alone and just sort of a quirky life where you've dropped out of the things you just don't feel ready to do that somehow, I mean, I didn't even think about the fact that I wrote a book for almost a year and then it was like, oh yeah, that, but my, my, my focus was fairly microscopic. It was like looking through a mi microscope at life, you know, it's like, oh, okay, uh, just without context, just in the moment. I read a lot of Eckhart Tolle, like in the moment, but for me, that moment was 
so present that the context of how I was doing day to day and what I was doing today today didn't get connected. So those higher cognitive functions, it's like I was in the moment. I was in the moment trading. I was in the moment, <laughs> in the moment a lot. You um, were in your little, you know, obsessive moment to say the least. Yes. Um, so there are quirky things that come out of this, and I'm glad you were able to retain your sense of humor, um, <laughs> and and also to share that in the book. Mm -hmm. How did your husband take to all of this? Because you know, um, we have so many people who are wondering when you ha when you're living with someone, um, whether it's a partner, husband, whomever. It means so much to be, as it were, understood um, somehow, even though the person isn't going through the same kind of um, exact experience. But how much did his participation count for your ability to heal? Such a great question. So his participation was was so important. I think, I think honestly, talking about it now or putting the book together in the last few years, us with, you know, stick-ons all over our, my writing room and, you know, pulling out calendars, trying to figure out what happened when, looking at photos, email accounts, and reconstructing it. I think that, to be really honest, my husband was terrified. I think he was glad I was alive, that what happened to his wife, that he, he was mostly just terrified and, and sort of, trying to understand it and and you know our doctor said oh you'll get better over time and, and all of that and I love my doctor that I had then she has since retired but you know we trusted the people around us and they gave us everything they had but in the end I needed more and and I got more so I was one of the lucky ones but I think mostly my husband was terrified and happy I was alive and um, a little nervous at points about some of the decisions I made because, I mean, I was starting to trade in our retirement accounts kind of before I let on. <laughs> it was like a game, you know, I, my whole life was so interior. But I, I think, you know, we just in time tried to talk about what was going on. And I think he's just ultimately hugely supportive. But I think he felt very helpless. And I think yeah, I know. I can only imagine. Too. And well, I brought it up because he had to have felt helpless. I mean, first of all, he's not in your head. He can't understand what's going on. So he's listening to you, trying to empathize, you know, and this is why caregiving someone with this issue, you know, is is a challenge to say the least. Mm -hmm. And you know, there're probably times when you were so frustrated um trying to get your point across maybe with naysayers and mm -hmm. people who said nah it can't be that bad or or that's really not a thing and what are you you know bothering us for you know with this and it's it's not a big deal you're not bleeding to death you, you didn't lose a limb mm -hmm. or any of that i think that they're probably on the part of my wonderful brethren some minimizing of what happened going on and that's got to be tough. That's got to be super tough, to say the least. Absolutely. It, it's like from the outside, I look fine. And people would just go, you're, you're fine. You must be fine. With the second concussion, the unthinkable concussion that happened more recently, the last four years, but Northwestern Concussion Clinic was amazing. And I got good help from 
I'm Dr. Gable at Loyola University, an ophthalmologist. And so that was, that made the healing go a lot faster, lots of omega-3. And so I had a perspective on, on what I was doing and, and, and resources. And I also sought neurofeedback with one of my colleagues, which made a huge difference because it, it was very frustrating feeling like I was back at square one, but that recovery went lots faster. So I feel really grateful for that. Yeah, because you end the whole book with love heals, question mark. Well, dot, 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 not quite. <laughs> and and this is where you're really saying that clearly you had the love and support of family and friends, no question about that. But it took more, and that is it took a village of scientists and practitioners, you know, who were able to do what you needed, which was to apply neuroscience and to do it well. Um, so what would you recommend to someone today? One of our listeners uh, on, on, the, on the podcast who, um, you know, who is thinking, what if this happened to me or maybe it's already happened? What would you recommend they do? What are the steps they should take? Okay, if someone has recognized themselves in this, if they can, I think reading the book would be helpful because there's an array of tools in there and there's a perspective to just help ground them in. You can make a difference. Your life will not always be the same. If you work at this, it doesn't have to feel the same and you can recover. You might do amazing things. So from there, I would I would look for uh, definitely talk to your doctor. And I think there were points where I held back in bothering my doctor. You were exactly right. Like, you know, just telling her words that I didn't think would even make sense. It's like, wow, my focus, my life isn't the same. I, I don't think I let on. So it was invisible to other people. It was kind of invisible to me because I don't like to be sick. I don't like to be I grew up feeling smart. <laughs> and I don't like to be anything that's like compromised or, you know, that just don't relate to that. So it, which is a barrier because I don't want to be injured or impaired. So, but I think finding the words for looking at, you know, how your life is different. Are you as organized? Are you, are you social as social as you were before? Are you, can you do your work as fast? Do you get headaches? So that whole self-awareness piece of just trying to really hone in on our self-awareness, it's, I think you had said this, it's not selfish to, self-care is not selfish. I remember reading that somewhere you, that you wrote That's that. That's right. That's right. It's actually on my Twitter feed, um, that whole New England Journal of Medicine article um, that really speaks to self-care, especially among medical professionals, because oftentimes we turn the word self-care into selfish, and that's not true at all. You have to kind of really listen to yourself and honor what you're hearing to be able to make this work. And that's why one of the things I love about the book is, one, it's your personal story. It's your journey with, for all intent and purposes, as you say, an invisible illness, really looking at how the brain heals. You know, the brain has remarkable ability to heal well. And all it needs is it needs the right, as you said, tools and techniques to be able to facilitate that entire healing process. That's what you need. 
more than anything else. And you were smart enough, and you also had a good baseline foundation um, to really be able to uh, reach out and, and access. And also, most importantly, advocate for yourself. Everyone out there in the Her Podcast land knows how much I am about being your own best advocate. Listen to yourself, be smart, grab those resources. And this is one of the reasons why I bring this one particular book to your attention. And that's Brain Dance, My Journey with Invisible Illness, Second Chances, and the Wonders of Applied Neuroscience. And the author is Diane Grimard Wilson. And again, she's a licensed clinical professional counselor and has really written a book from the heart, but also from neuroscience and its applications. And I think that, you know, if, if anyone is out there and has been having these kinds of symptoms, the headaches and the cognitive performance issues, etc., you really need to, you know, get that diagnosis. You know, go see, seek people who are experts in a post-concussive trauma and then follow their advice and their treatment. And Diane does a fantastic job of describing what those options are and how some of them worked well for her in her own recovery. So as we close up here, Diane, one last word of wisdom from you, because you're now years out from the accident and the entire process of recovery, which of course continues to this day. But if you were to look back, what, what is a lesson that you could pluck from the entire journey that you um, have described in the book uh, that you could share with all of our listeners? I would say that human stories make a difference and that to share your human story and for all healthcare professionals, as well as people who have had had trauma of any kind to really listen for the stories. I would love it if many physicians read Brain Dance. I, I, I had some review it and just love it. And one person said, I don't, this doesn't happen to my patients. And then she came back to me and she said, I bet it does, but I just haven't heard it. And so I think like sharing human stories is just how we all heal. I love it. Human stories. We keep coming back to that. That's like a recurrent theme here. Um, it's all about human stories because, you know, we can, you know, share hypotheses and we could be theoretical, but really at the end of the day, what does it really mean to a human being? Um, and Lord knows um, with the pandemic and all the rest of it going on around us, it's the human stories that fuel our courage also our hope to be able to push forward, keep putting one foot in front of the other and know that there are possibilities and opportunities despite the challenges. So again, congratulations, Diane, on a fantastic book. Everyone out there, Brain Dance, My Journey with Invisible Illness, Second Chances and the Wonders of Applied Neuroscience. We've been talking to the author, Diane Grimard Wilson. And Diane, where can they learn more about this uh, website or whatever you wish? Yes. The website is www.braindancebook.com and that will connect with all the, our other websites too, but that's 
that's how they can learn more about Fantastic. Diane, I can't thank you enough for your being on the her podcast. And everyone out there, take a moment right now, hit iTunes, rate and review the show because I want to hear from you. And that's because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Thanks for listening today. Please stay safe and stay well.